The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. As you look at this text, I think um, it's a popular text. We, we know uh, a lot of the verses in the text. It's an important text in that it, it's a dividing part here as he kind of changes subjects uh, here to the Philippians. Uh, it's one that still centers and focuses on the main theme in the, in the book, which is joy. And we've been talking about joy. I think as we think about joy, uh, there's thieves of our joy, aren't there? <laughs> we've been talking about what punches the holes in the bucket and causes the joy to leak from our lives. Uh, we know the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And I, I think the devil knows this too. I think he allows sometimes... Uh, he comes after us sometimes in, in a way to want to desire to rob us of our joy, in essence, rob us of our strength. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, but I tell you, even while I'm doing things that are right, without joy, those things have no strength. Even while I'm doing things that are right, without joy, those things have no strength. Are you with me tonight? It, it was good that you came tonight, by the way. It was good that you're here tonight. It's, it's good that we open up the Word tonight, but are you with me? Without joy, it kind of loses all its strength. Uh, it, it, it's, it's good that we sang tonight, but without joy, it kind of loses all its strength, doesn't it? Uh, it? It's good that we tell people about Jesus, but without joy, it kind of loses its strength. Uh, it, it's good that we obey God, but without joy, it loses its strength in our lives, doesn't it? And I think you get the point. Uh, don't circumstances rob us of our joy? Uh, sometimes, uh, if we're not careful, we allow what hap- what's happening around us uh, uh, to negate what God has done in us. Uh, we, we allow uh, what's happening around us to keep us from focusing on who we are in Christ, of what Christ has done in us, what Christ is doing in us. The work, where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, God is spinning something on the inside, which is stirring something on the outside. Uh, God God is doing things in our lives that He might do things through our lives, but then we hit some kind of circumstances that discourage us. And if you're like me, I think we're, there is no temptation taking you, but such is what? Common to man. Boy, we're all just common, aren't we? We, we think sometimes we're not, but then we hit that roadblock and it all, the same things stop us all, doesn't it? Not getting my way, uh, not, things not going the, th- the way I think they should go. Uh, circumstances are thieves to our joy. How about people? People. Can people take your joy away? Boy, it just, sometimes it just takes one person, doesn't it? You're having a great day and all of a sudden the joy has gone. Well, if your joy is only in people that love you and treat you well, then we don't have the joy of Jesus. We just have joy that's temporal, don't we? You know, sometimes uh, we, we, we fail to recognize as we read this wonderful book of Philippians that Paul, who was counting it all joy, was chained to some soldiers, that Paul was in prison, that Paul had no guarantee, and we know how it ends, don't we? No guarantee of getting out while he's writing uh, and saying, counting it all joy. Uh, I'm rejoicing. Uh, the, hey, listen, it's not too troublesome to me. to, to the, I, I don't know about you, but that kind of hits me kind of hard because I find trouble in a lot less things than this. But here's Paul in the midst of prison, strapped to a soldier, saying, hey, I can have joy. Sometimes we let people take joy from us. But isn't it's not our circumstances that take our joy. It's, it's us that lets the circumstances take our joy. It's, it's not the people that take our joy. It's, it's us that let people take our joy. It's not the devil, right, that, that comes and, and takes things from us. It's us that gives things to him. Isn't that what the Bible says? For us, neither give place to the devil, we, we give him room, we give him place. He's going to take every place you give him, by the way. Uh, the, the flesh will take every place you give it. Uh, uh, the the, the, uh, the Satan, Satan our, our accuser, will take every place you give him. Circumstances are thieves of our joy. People are thieves of our joy. Our own flesh 
is a thief of our joy. Are you public enemy number one in your life like I am? Are you your own worst enemy sometimes? Boy, we trip ourselves. How many sometimes uh, you trip on your own feet? Sometimes someone trips you, but sometimes you trip on your own feet. Uh, We trip over our own problems. We trip over the the problems we create for ourselves. And sometimes, I I think if I'm not careful, I I look at God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? He said, well, I wasn't really a whole lot to do with that. You did that. I mean, I know I let you, but you did it. How many have ever realized that you were in a circumstance or situation that you caused? Sometimes ignorantly, sometimes unknowingly. We love to, you know, that old statement, the devil made me do it. (laughs) We love to blame the devil, but a lot of times it's just me. How about you? It's just us. Uh, This sinful flesh is a thief of our joy. Paul finishes up the text that we just read with a powerful declaration of his desire to know Christ in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. I think this is a great treatise. This is a great uh, uh, statement, a declaration about Paul's pursuit for Jesus. His pursuit for Jesus. His affection for Jesus. Here's a a question, and and I want to ask two questions tonight. We'll consider them both, and we'll kind of work back from um, the beginning here. But question number one, what robs me of my affection for Jesus? What robs me of my affection for Jesus? Um, Should our affection be towards Jesus? Should we be pursuing Christ in our lives? But what robs me of my affection for Jesus? I I think verse 2 gives us a good understanding of what can rob us of our affection for Christ. Look at the bewares here. There's three bewares. There's three warnings that he gives us. And they have to do with what can rob us of our affection for Christ. The first one that he says is, beware of what? Dogs. You thought that was just a sign that you'd put up to keep thieves away. Beware of dogs. What in the world is he talking about? In Jewish circles, dogs were Gentiles. But Paul is kind of flipping this over as one that became the one that was the transitional apostle to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was flipping this around and he was talking about that now... We are spiritual Israel. We are part of the family of God. And now all those who are outside teaching false or even teaching what the Jews are teaching are the dogs. In essence, he's he's calling our attention to false teachers because false teachers can rob us of our affection for Jesus. He's saying beware of dogs. Why? Because what robs me of my affection for Jesus is false teachers, false teaching that can rob me of my affection for Jesus. I need to be careful what I listen to that's not in line with Scripture. I need to be careful of who I listen to that's not in line with Scripture. Why? Because that can take my joy away. Doesn't it give you great joy to hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word when it's God's Word? It doesn't matter who it is, as long as it's the Word of God. Are you with me? As long as it's the word of God, it doesn't matter the delivery, it doesn't matter the charisma, it doesn't matter the style, it's not, we we preach not ourselves, but Christ. And so, it's not the preacher, but it's the preaching, it's what's being preached, it's preaching the word of God, but there's false teachers that are out there that rob people of our joy. I, I see people that get involved with false teaching, and what at one time was joy to them, now all of a sudden they're angry. Angry. They have a disposition that's not the disposition of Christ. That's what these false teachers had. By the way, they followed Paul around. Because there was a time where the church was all Jewish. Are you with me in the book of Acts? It started that way. The church was all Jewish. It was all one group of people racially. It was all one group of people. Uh, They all had commonality that way. And then 
the gospel went to Samaria, right? They had a little bit of trouble with that, but at least they were half Jewish. At least they were, you know, partially. It was, I mean, they, they still struggled with it, but they allowed it. And Philip, he was leading there, and Peter comes down, and God gives, shows them through many signs and wonders that they too had received the gift of God's Spirit. And then what happens as a result of that? Well, then what Jesus was saying was going to happen, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then what? The uttermost parts of the world. And those Judaizers, they had that Jerusalem council, and you read the book of Acts, as, as Acts chapter 10 gives that divide, and all of a sudden Acts chapter 10, now it's all to the Gentiles. It's to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. We see God doing the work. Boy, that was hard for them to accept, but all of a sudden... There were those that rejected and now accosted the ministry of Paul. These were the dogs that Paul was warning against. These Judaizers who were coming and they were teaching a false gospel. He said, from such turn away. Peter warned them in his uh, epistles as well uh, to not listen to those. Notice, not only beware of dogs, false teachers, rob me of my affection for Jesus, but beware of evil workers, false righteousness, false righteousness. Evil workers, uh, those that are doing good, but they're doing good for the wrong reason. They're, they're doing good for the wrong reason. This false righteousness, these evil workers, it's not that what they were doing was evil, it's what, why they were doing it. They were going about to establish their own righteousness. Jesus had the most scathing review for the religious people doing good things, didn't he? I mean, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus was, yeah, he was compassionate and gracious towards those sinners, but boy, when he went, you generation of vipers, he, he went after those guys who were trying to establish their own righteousness, making for doctrine the commandments of God. False righteousness is something that robs me of my joy. It robs me of my affection for Jesus. Notice also, beware of the concision, this third beware. It's almost a play on the word circumcision, isn't it? He says, beware of the concision, uh, not the circumcision, but the concision. He's talking about false religion. He's talking about uh, uh, not, see, we have false teachers, we, ha- we have false righteousness, but when I, when I believe that salvation has happened in my life through my works, then all the acts that I do, which is the religion that I practice, comes from the wrong place. I'm not doing it for joy. I'm not ju- doing it because I love. I'm not doing it because I have affection for Christ. I'm just doing it because I have to do it. Are you with me? I'm doing it because it's forced on me through religion, through this false teaching, through these false practices. And, and Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord, but uh, you need to beware because these things are going to cause you not to be rejoicing. False teachers had been a pain to Paul's ministry. False righteousness had been something that he had dealt with in his own false religion is something that he had warned again and again because these things robbed me of my affection for Jesus. They're subtle, though, aren't they? They're subtle. Because we see enemies sometimes as something totally different. We think as enemies as these dark, you know, these enemies that are obvious. How many know there's some obvious enemies we have to deal with? But there's some subtle ones, too. False teaching, false righteousness, uh, false religion, these are enemies of my joy. They're subtle ones because sometimes I allow them into my life. Are you with me? But I know I'm losing my... How many, when you're doing things because you're trying to, or you're doing things because you're not looking through the lens of the gospel, you're more working towards, you're doing because, you're, you're hoping that other people notice. Nobody ever does things hoping other people will notice like me, do you? We get sucked into that, don't we? And then the praise of men is never enough for us, right? The eyes of men are never enough. It's never enough eyes on us. There's never enough applaud for us. There, there's not enough accolades that can be given to us. The, uh, my trophy case gets full and I need to build another one. Are you with me? There's never enough accolades that can be made. How many know it's insatiable when I work that way, when I live that way? It robs me of my affection for Jesus. Because all of this is for me. It's not for Jesus. How much of what we do is for Jesus, really? Is it for us or is it for Him? If it's for Him, why do I get so offended? 
If, if it's for him, why do I get so empty? If it's for him, why do I not have joy? If it's for me, boy, I'm just not satisfied through my own works. How about you? What robs me of my affection for Jesus? Number two, let me ask this question. What stirs my affection toward Jesus? What stirs my affection towards Jesus? Do you know what stirs your affection for Christ? I hope that we know. You know what it feels like, right, when you get stirred up in love for Jesus? Um, I don't know what it is that stirs your affection, but how many know that we need to involve ourselves more with the things that stir our affection toward Christ? Uh, There's a stirring going on in our world towards the works of the flesh, the things of the flesh, stirring, constantly stirring. Uh, uh, It's like they can't stop. In the world, they're, they're all over the place. They're constantly stirring because the affections of the flesh are insatiable. They're always constantly uh, desiring more and more. But my affection towards Jesus, what does affection towards Jesus bring me? It brings satisfaction. It brings peace. It brings the fullness of joy to my life. Notice verse number three, because I think verse number two gives us what robs me of my affection. But I think verse number three shows us what stirs our affection towards Jesus. You still with me tonight? He says, beware of the concision, but then he says, for we are the circumcision. Notice these play on words. Why? Because he's talking to people who are familiar with work salvation. People who are familiar with religion. People who are familiar with what it was like to be in religion before and not have Christ, not have God's Spirit, not be doing things from the right motives. Sometimes that's us, though, isn't it? We're familiar with what we're supposed to do. We know what the right things are to do. But sometimes my, um, my struggle is not in doing the right things anymore. My struggle is making sure that I'm doing the right things for the right person. That my affections are pointed towards him. How about you? I know what I'm supposed to do. Are you with me? I mean, I was taught from a little, little child what to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have a problem with my knowledge of what I need to do or what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes I struggle with my affections being in the wrong place. How about you? Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Why do we have to set our affections that way? Because we naturally tend to set our affections on things on the earth. Our our affections naturally go towards earthly, natural, fleshly things. That's our flesh. Our flesh tends to look towards natural things. But God says, set your affection on things above, on eternal things, on Christ. Stir your affection towards Jesus. Do you think Paul, at any time in prison, needed his affection for Christ to be stirred up? How would you feel if you were in prison for preaching the gospel? You were bearing chains for doing what God called you to do. We feel sorry when something less than that happens to us. Are you with me? Feel sorry for ourselves sometimes. And, and, and here, Paul is there. He's, come on, think about what he said. I think myself happy. How, how, you ever wonder how he did that? How in those circumstances can you think yourself happy? How, how can you count it all joy? I mean, I mean, how can you, through these circumstances, say, hey, listen, it's not grievous. I'm not troubled by this. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to write to you. I'm happy to rejoice with you. I'm happy to encourage you. If that was me, I'd be saying, hey, I'd be happy if you encouraged me. I'd be happy if you helped me. Feel sorry for me. I mean, look at me. Look what I'm going through. Forget what you're going through. Look what I'm going through. But here's Paul saying, no, I can encourage you. I can boast. I can boost you. I can help you. Why? Because I believe that his affections were stirred towards Jesus. Notice he knew who he was. And he wanted to remind them of who they were. For we are the circumcision. What's the circumcision? Well, the circumcision was that outward mark of their salvation, wasn't it? The outward mark of their faith. I'm part of this faith. And so there's an outward marking of that. They believe themselves through that outward working through the law, to be righteous. But what was he saying? Our circumcision is inward, 
And by the way, even those who are not circumcised in the flesh, like I have been, notice that's one of his boasts. Verse number 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Paul was saying, I'm not part of the circumcision because of this physical mark. I'm part of the circumcision because I have God's spirit. And he said, so are you. He's talking to Gentiles now. You are the circumcision. You are Israel. You are God's people. You've been grafted in. You're the children of God. I believe what stirs my affection towards Jesus, number one, is authentic identity. Authentic identity. Realizing who I am in Christ. How many don't always feel what you are in Christ? How many don't feel right now what you are in Christ? I feel like I'm going to drop dead right now. All right, somebody that's what you look like you feel. I don't know. I feel like if this goes on too long, I'm going to fall asleep. I, 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 I feel tired. I feel discouraged. I feel disheartened. I feel depressed. Uh, listen, it's important for us to have an authentic identity. Who I am in Jesus and believe what God says about me. Even if I don't feel like that. Listen, because when you're sick and you're discouraged and your circumstances are not the way that they, you think they should be and there's people that aren't treating you the right way and your flesh is failing you and your heart is failing you and you're overwhelmed. Boy, what do you need? You need faith in authentic identity. We are in Christ. That brings joy. That bolsters my affection towards Jesus. I don't have to feel that. I just have to believe that. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I get discouraged just like you do, but i got to sit and remind myself, how many glad for when you can open up the Word of God and you don't feel a certain way, but God's Word says what you are. God's Word reminds you of who you are. How many glad that you're forgiven in Jesus tonight? That you're justified in Jesus tonight? That you're saved from the wrath to come because of Jesus tonight? That you are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That you have access into the Holy of Holies. That you boldly can come before His throne and find grace to help in time of need. That nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, which is uh, the love of Jesus, which is in Christ. It's all in Christ, isn't it? Authentic identity bolsters my affection towards Jesus. False teaching robs me. It, 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 it takes away from. That's why tonight I'm not going to give you ten things to do. Are you with me? It's not why I'm going to give you this long list of actions that you need to take right now. How many are with me tonight? My list is long enough. I got, enough on, I got more on my list this week than I can physically possibly do. Are you with me? You know what I need to do? I need to move some of it off and I need to make room for Jesus. I just, need to, I just need to do that. How do I know that it takes discipline, especially when you're finding satisfaction or identity in your actions and your things that you do? Because it's never-ending, is it? i got to do more. i got to do more. i got to do more. And because all of our identity is in our work, and all of our identity is in our service, and all of our identity is in our busyness, and so what do we do? We, we crowd out Jesus from our lives, and then we wonder why we're not joyful. Well, I'm doing it for the Lord. No, you're doing it for you. Half the things on that list He didn't ask you to do. You're just doing it. And how many are like me where you just keep adding to that list? More and more and more and more. And it's almost replacement for. And sometimes if we're not careful, we look at quiet time with Christ as a waste of time. Are you with me tonight? I got too much to do. I don't have time to do this. You don't have time not to do it. I need to bolster my affection towards Christ because what stirs my affection towards Christ are the reminders of my authentic identity in Jesus. Realizing who I am. For we are the circumcision. Why do you think he said that? Why? Because there were false teachers that were telling them they weren't. 
The Judaizers were following Paul around. Paul was preaching. They were coming behind him. And Paul was telling him, hey, listen, you don't need circumcision. You don't need the law. You don't need to become a Jew. You don't need to become a proselyte. You just need to, by faith, believe on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and you, too, can become a child of God. And they were coming behind and said, no, 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 you, you heard Brother Paul wrong. He doesn't understand right. And you know what? They were trying to snatch away some of these new believers out of the church. You know the false teachers are still busy trying to snatch away these new believers out of the church. And they got ten ways to do this and ten ways to do that. And, and all this teaching around whatever it is that they're trying. And just busy, 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 busy work keeping them from realizing what they already have, robbing them from their riches in Jesus. Authentic identity stirs my affection towards Jesus. Notice not only authentic identity, for we are the circumcision, but authentic worship. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, which what? Worship God. Look at verse 3. Which worship God in the Spirit. We talked about that this morning, authentic worship, right? Uh, The true worshipers worship Christ in what? In spirit and in truth. That's what his prophecy was concerning whether they would worship in the mountain or in Jerusalem. How many glad that he doesn't any longer dwell in temples made with hands? How many glad that you didn't come here to meet God as much as you came here to meet God's people? How many glad that God was in you when you came? God was dwelling in you. God wants to fill you. We we don't come into the room because God's in here. We brought God in with us. This place is empty without us. But it's filled because believers are here. His spirit is present tonight. Authentic worship, spirit-filled worship stirs my affection towards Jesus. You know what takes our joy away? just droning through worship that's meaningless to us. Be careful when the worship becomes all about what moves you. When when it's all about what music you like or don't like. When it's all about whether you prefer it or not. If you can't worship God... And you say, well, I can't, I just can't worship. You know what you're saying? Uh, it, it requires something from the past. It requires something from the, it requires something from the present. Authentic spirit-filled worship is not so much about the method, but it is about the motive. I understand that there's methods that are right and that are wrong. I'm not trying to even have a dialogue about that tonight. But I think sometimes we hinder our, our worship to God Because it's not about God's Spirit having His way in us. It's about us having our way in the church. You with me? It's not about God having His way in us. It's about us having our way in the church. If everybody liked what I liked, then they would experience God the way I experience God. Well, you're not experiencing God and just complaining and criticizing. Preference-driven. I want this. I want this. This is what moves me. This is what makes me feel good. Uh, it's almost like, um, I don't know about you, but the, how many, you're watching that, that epic film and the score comes on, and how many ever get the, the goosebumps from that? You, you feel that. Don't, don't they on purpose? They, they know what they're doing. They're trying to evoke some emotion from you. Do we need externals to evoke spirit-filled worship from us? Or should it come up out of us like a well? It should spring up out of us like a well because authentic worship comes from within. It's not external stuff that stirs us up to make us worship. Are you with me? I I love music, but I'm not relying on the quality of the music. Well, you know, if if the church had better musicians, we'd have better worship. No, if you had a better heart, you'd have better worship. If, if, If the church had... If the church played this style or played that, we'd have better worship. No, if you had a better heart, you'd have better worship. Worship comes from within. I come in ready for worship. How about you? Ready for worship. Why? Why? Because my heart is prepared to worship Christ. 
But not always. How about you? Sometimes, how, how many, what hinders your worship is your thought life before you come in. Uh, you're sitting in the car, negative, 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 and then you walk in, and of course, worship's going to happen. Just, it's just going to spring up out of you, right? What's happening outside? Uh, uh, negative, arguing, fighting, bickering, malice, gossip, evil speaking. Oh, then we come in, oh, we're going to worship Jesus now. How I many know oh, it does not work like that? The negative is coming out of you too, by the way. Because the negative's in you. We love to blame externals for, I'm so critical because my heart is critical. I'm so discouraged because my heart is. It's coming from within. We love to blame our externals. Oh, you you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what's been done around me. You don't know what's done. Hey, you have Christ in you. Paul was saying, listen, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm in bondage. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm rejoicing in Jesus. Notice verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, we're the circumcision which worship in God and the Spirit. And notice, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Authentic identity, authentic worship, authentic joy. Authentic joy. Not in things, but in Jesus. Not in things, but in Jesus. It wasn't just possessions for Paul. It wasn't just popularity for Paul. It wasn't just his resume that he viewed as, a, by the way, a hurdle to his rejoicing. Isn't it interesting how we, we, the things that we would brag on ourselves about Paul is putting himself down for. Paul's saying, hey, listen, you would think that these things would be reasons for my joy, but they're hindrances to my joy. Notice what he says. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. By the way, he's saying that's a hurdle to me coming to Christ, not a help. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a hurdle. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a hurdle. As touching the law, a, a Pharisee. These are stumbling blocks. These are hurdles. These are great things, crushing blows to him not having joy. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous which is in the law, blameless. But those, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Um, if in your list of what makes you such a great person is your long resume of action, your long resume of works, your long resume of how good of a person you are and how nice you treat people and how, how this and how that and all that you've done and, and, and you're writing this resume and you're thinking that because of all these things, I deserve joy. The truth is, is you're not going to have joy until you're willing to lay all that aside and simply find your joy in who Christ is, not who you are. Sometimes we can't see Christ because we can't see beyond ourselves. Paul was saying, I'm able to see beyond myself to Christ. Those things that I thought were gained to me. How many, how many there's some things that you used to think were gained to you? Paul is saying, my whole background, yeah, all these things from man's standpoint make up a great resume. It's kind of like people that use the church for a resume. It's like moderate Christianity. Uh, Look on my resume. I'm active in my church. Being active in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Being active in the church doesn't guarantee you joy. Christ, His Spirit, needs to be active in us, alive in us. Authentic joy, not in things, but in Jesus. How do you know if you have authentic joy? 
if the things that make you happy are all about you, then you don't have authentic joy. If the things that make you happy are all about you, then you don't have authentic joy. If the things that make you happy are about Jesus, then you have authentic joy. Joy is not in who I am. Joy is in who Jesus is. Who I am changes from day to day. Who he is never changes. What your profession is today can change tomorrow. If your joy is in that, your joy will come and go. What your identity is, what your relationships are, can change. what your health is, what your financial situation is, can change from day to day. And if your joy is in your stuff and not your Savior, you're going to find yourself before long sinking and unsatisfied. Because the works of the flesh don't satisfy but Jesus does. He told the woman at the well, come drink of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Does Jesus satisfy? Does Jesus satisfy? If he does, why do we look for satisfaction in other places? If Jesus satisfies, why do we go looking? I think for Christians, obviously we're not looking for satisfaction in the Spirit we're looking for satisfaction in the flesh again. The flesh profiteth nothing. Are you with me tonight? The flesh profiteth nothing. But we have this little thing in the back of our head that believes just a little bit that the flesh has some profit. The flesh profiteth nothing. Do you believe that tonight? The works of the flesh, they profit nothing. You say, oh, if your bottom line gives you joy, then your joy is going to ebb and flow, and it's not going to last. Authentic joy, not in things, but in Jesus. He was saying, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Does that mean I can rejoice in what I have? Yes, as long as it's in Christ Jesus. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I have the things that I have because Christ, God has been good to me. How about you? I'm not rejoicing because I have them. I'm rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing in that he's been good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Can I rejoice in my family? Yes. Can I rejoice in in good things that come to my life? Yes. But my joy should not be rooted in them. They should be rooted in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or we'll just curse God and die. Are you with me? Every time something happens to us, every time something enters into life, every time that something... How many want to be more steady in your joy? Want to be more steady in your joy? How many... Your joy sometimes looks like a roller coaster. I'm happy, I'm not happy. I'm happy, I'm not happy. Let Let me ask you a question. Does joy that looks like this, can that be joy rooted in Jesus? Can that come from the person who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Can that come from the person whose faithfulness is great, whose mercies are new every morning, whose love is unconditional and never-ending, whose power is above all things? That's not joy in Jesus. If your joy looks like this, you don't have authentic joy. If my joy looks like this, I don't have authentic joy. How about you? I want to have joy whether or not things go my way tomorrow. I want to have joy whether or not I have all the things I want. I want to have joy whether or not everyone's treating me the way I think I should be treated. I want to have joy. I don't want to be known as a person who's only happy when people do for me what I want, who who only is happy when I have what I want, who's only happy when I have the identity that I choose for myself. What stirs my affection toward Jesus? Authentic identity, authentic worship, authentic joy. Last one, authentic righteousness. Authentic righteousness. Look at the last thing that he shares with us in verse 3. For we are the circumcision, authentic identity, which worship God in the Spirit, authentic worship, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, authentic joy, 
and have no confidence in the flesh. Authentic righteousness. How many are like me where the religion that you once knew comes creeping back into your head and says, yeah, but there's a little bit of good in me. Are you with me? Yeah, but there's a little bit of good in me. I wasn't a bad person before Christ. I mean, I was a good, there's a little bit of good in me. Paul gets a little bit heavier, doesn't he, in his description? He doesn't just say, I counted them loss, but then he starts to count them in a different way. How many see the word count, count, count? We begin to wonder whether Paul can count at all. Paul is counting things, but he's not counting things the way we would count them. Because how many would have counted in the flesh the things that he says as pluses as he makes them minuses? And you think, what in the world, what kind of math is this? This is upside down kingdom math, isn't it? This is where the first is last and the last is first. How many struggle with that equation? This is, this, is, this is math where the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. How many struggle with that equation? This, this is the kind of math where love loves enemies, not just friends. How many struggle with that equation? This is the kind of counting that the Spirit causes us to do. Where we no longer count the way we used to count. We used to say, oh, this is great about me, and this is good about me, and this is wonderful about me. And joy sinks and leaks from our lives as Christians as we go back to the works of the flesh. And we go back to our self-righteousness. And we go back to our religion. We have a tendency, just like the Galatians, don't we, to go back. Either we go back to our lives of sin before, or we go back to our self-righteousness before. But how many know going back is not an option for Christians? We must press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. What? No turning back. You know, for some of us, behind us is not too ugly of a life when it comes to the world. Are you with me? I wasn't such a bad guy back there. You know, how many had that testimony? You heard that guy with a testimony. Boy, he was like this, and he was that, and he had this addiction and that addiction. He was in prison this many times. He got shot this many times, and, and Christ saved him. And I'm just like, whoa, man. You were a bad dude. I'm not like you. Man, Jesus had a lot of blood shed for you. He shed the same amount of blood for me. Are you with me? It didn't matter that I came to know him as an eight-year-old boy. It didn't matter that I was raised in the Christian home. It didn't matter that I knew the songs and I knew the verses and I knew the stuff. It took just as much of Christ's blood to save me as it did that guy. And all that stuff behind me that I think was good is just loss. And I can't afford to turn back and bring that forward because that's going backwards again. But how many like to go back to the trophy case? And we look at all those things. Wasn't that Paul's trophy case? Paul was counting the trophy case. It was almost like Paul was pulling the trophies off the wall and smashing them on the ground. He was saying, oh, that... That's no good. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You were a good guy. Oh, wait a minute. You, you learned a lot of good. Oh, wait a minute. Smash, smash. He's just tearing it all down because he said, hey, all this stuff. I heard my mother-in-law say this afternoon, but by the grace of God, there go I. How many understand that's us? But by the grace of God, there go I. Sometimes, boy, we just, oh, man, thank God I'm not like this man. Boy, you know who you sound like? Remember that old Pharisee in the temple? Oh God, thank you that I'm not like this man. You are that man. You just don't realize it. It's masked in religion. It's masked in self-righteousness. It's masked in all your good works. Oh, we think we're so good. And Paul starts to pull all the trophies out of the case and smash them on the ground. He says, these things are lost. You'll never win in the kingdom of God until you learn to lose. You don't have victory until you first take defeat. You don't get life until you give up your life. Now what Jesus said. Authentic righteousness means I have no confidence 
in my flesh. How many like me, you struggle with that? He goes further, doesn't he? Verse 8. He counted them loss. But you see what he counted them in verse 8? I don't want to use the expletive that this means because it wouldn't be proper. But it means deeper than what we use this proper word for. Are you with me? This is, this is jargon for. This is, he, he's saying all of it is dung. How many know what that is? Are you with me tonight? It's a strong word then. We have stronger words that mean the same thing now. Are you getting the, you, you catch my drift? Are you with me tonight? He's saying this is all garbage. This is all, it's not just loss. <laughs> it should be flushed down the toilet. Are you with me? It should make me sick. It should be dirty to me. All my righteousness is filthy. We don't like that. That gets us all bent out of shape, doesn't it? We like, oh, I have his righteousness. But, you know, he only had to add a little bit to me because I had enough already. I was was kind of good. You know, I didn't really take that much blood from Jesus. All our righteousness is utterly, disgustingly filthy. Were you dead in your trespasses and sins? Did your corpse smell better than someone else's corpse? Did your decay smell better than someone else's decay? We ask that question to people. They they act like they don't stink. Right? How many know that we all stink? All of us do. We've all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. You know why I'm preaching this? Because some of our kids need to hear this tonight. Because they're growing up in Christian homes. I didn't mess up my life. Not yet. You have the potential to, by the way. But guess what? Even if you never mess up your life, your self-righteousness is still dung. It's filthy. It's garbage. It doesn't need to be displayed. It needs to be flushed. We struggle with joy because we display our dung. We're like animals sometimes. And Paul said, hey, listen, this stuff in my life needs to be gone. Flushed. Authentic righteousness. No confidence. No confidence in the flesh. How many struggle with that? Because we live in a world that says, have confidence in yourself. Have confidence. Have self-confidence. You need self, you need more self-confidence. I don't need more self-confidence. I need more Christ confidence. I need more faith in Jesus. I need less faith in me. By the way, I need no faith in me. How about you? No confidence. No faith in the flesh. The next time we trust ourselves, may we remember we shouldn't have any confidence in ourselves. Confidence in self is an affront to God. When I think of myself... Without Christ, in a positive way, I'm saying within that I don't need Christ. And it's no matter, it's no wonder that we live like we don't need him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? How do we know that, but then we don't open this? How do we know that we need this, but then we don't open this? I'll be okay. No, you won't. You can't go in the flesh. I can't go in the flesh. We fail in the flesh. Only in the Spirit of God do we have victory. What do we need? We need God's Word, don't we? We need prayer, we need humility. But that's not going to come by you adding 10 more things to your list tonight. It's going to come through authentic identity, realizing who I am in Christ, 
authentic worship, spirit-filled, truth-filled worship. Authentic joy, not in stuff, not in self, but in the Savior. Authentic righteousness, zero confidence in the flesh. Tonight, I think it would be good for us to crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. Are you with me? We're trying to stop our flesh from doing stuff when really we should not be trying to stop our flesh. We should be crucifying our flesh with its affections and lusts. Because that's what the Bible says. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. How many tire of trying to stop, and then you find out you can't stop? You can't stop the anxiety. You can't stop the fear. You can't stop the wrong thing. You can't stop. You try to stop, but you can't stop because the flesh is insatiable. It continues over and over and over again. It's not in stopping. It's in death to the flesh that we find what? The fullness of the Spirit. I am crucified with Christ. Do you believe that? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. I die daily. That's what Paul said. How many know that you need to die to your flesh today? How many know tomorrow you need to die to your flesh so you can live unto Christ? The flesh profits nothing have no confidence in the flesh. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.